from part nine of our series on repentance in the book of Revelation, chapter three. Nine messages on repentance. I hope we've repented by now. <laughs> Running out of messages here. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this series, and we thank you for reminding us that repentance is part of what we do as Christians. It's part of our lifestyle. It's not just for entering the kingdom, repenting of our sins, and coming to faith in Christ, but each one of us have things to bring before you to ask forgiveness for and to turn our backs on, things of the world that draw us and tug us and mentalities and pursuits, Lord, that so easily beset us, as the Word says. And God, we just ask, Lord, that you would grant us the gift of repentance and that we would turn our back on all the things that are not pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Anyone have a sinless week this week? All right, so this message is for us. Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 18. We have went through all the churches, five out of the seven Jesus told to repent. Two of them were walking right with him and didn't need the call to repentance. But the majority of those who are part of the body of Christ were uh, in a place where they needed to repent or else. How many understand that being religious can still result in us being lost? Well, I go to this church, and I've been baptized there, and I went through all the sacraments, and I, you know, and I listen, and I attend, and I give. Doesn't save you. Only relationship with Jesus Christ saves us. So here's Jesus speaking to the churches, and some of them had getting out of sorts. The Laodicean church had become lukewarm to the point where Jesus said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Most of us are hoping to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm hoping to hear nothing about spewing. But Jesus calls us to repentance, and we should entertain the possibility that we need to repent because the Laodiceans thought they were so spiritual and so blessed and so rich and just living a charmed life that they didn't realize that they were blind, wretched, poor, naked. Jesus calls them out and hits them in the face with the proverbial bucket of ice water. And he says, you guys are not what you think you are. You've been deceived. And in his speaking to them, he calls them to do some things. And we're going to recap a little bit of that. But let me read to you verses 18 through 22, Revelation chapter 3, Jesus talking to Laodicea, calling for repentance. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that sh the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. There it is. Verse 20, Jesus speaking again to Laodicea. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Mm. Also, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
So powerful words in there. We covered verses 18 and 19 last time we were together. I'm going to briefly recap that for continuity's sake. But we've covered in such detail what Jesus said to Laodicea, this lukewarm church in need of repentance. Today we're going to look at his final remarks to them. They were lukewarm. They had become spiritually deceived about their own spiritual health and well-being. And Jesus loved them enough to tell them the truth. Telling them that, you know, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So God gives sometimes a spanking to the people of God, but it's because he loves us. And we should receive it and not become angry or hard-hearted or think, why me? Why not me? Amen. It's good to be loved. Sometimes our parents said, I spank you because I love you. And we thought, I wish they loved me just a little less. But God does love us and he does correct us because we're his children. His counsel to them is a good thing. Why? Because Jesus doesn't just walk up to them and go, my, you are a spiritually hot mess. And just look them up and down and go, walk away. No, Jesus says, you're a spiritually hot mess but here's how you fix the mess. Uh, aren't you glad for people who have solutions and not just observations? I don't need anyone to tell me I'm a mess, Lou, but I need someone to speak into my life and tell me, hey, son, this is how you fix the mess up. You know, This is how the mess of your life, the mess of your finances, the mess of your relationships, someone to offer wisdom. Jesus counsels them. He tells them to buy some things from him, gold, white garments, and to anoint their eyes. So he was getting them to invest in spiritual treasures, offering themselves to him, white garments, being clothed not in their own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ that comes from the blood of the Lamb, amen, and to anoint their eyes. Why? So they could see not with the eyes of the world, not with the discernment of the flesh and the intellect, how many know there's people who are smart, they've got degrees, they can see, they can read, they can write books, but spiritually they're dead and lost. Amen? And so he's like, you know, anoint your eyes with eyesalve so that you can see the truth about your spiritual condition. Where you thought you were all that in a bag of chips, you're blind, wretched, naked, poor, and the list goes on. Jesus makes a humble appeal as we continue in verse 20 here with our new material. He appeals to those who had become more religious than relational. Do you know even us in a church that preaches the gospel and teaches salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and teaches the word, we can sit here and become religious. Well, say it ain't so, Pastor. Well, it is so. We can go through the ritual of doing things. Oh, we worship, and we raise our hands, and then we bring our stuff, and we kneel down, and then, you know, the preacher preaches, and we say amen at the appropriate spots, and then we leave and go out there and live the same way we did when we walked in. You know, one thing about the Full Gospel Center, and I've been coming here since I was 14-year-old. I got saved here at 14 years old. And I remember leaving this place just wrecked by the Word of God, just wrecked by the presence of God, that all week long I'm thinking about what was preached, and it's changing me from the inside out. I pray we never lose that, amen. I pray that when we leave this place, when we get into our cars, when, we, when Monday rolls around, we wake up and the word of God is still wrecking us. Amen. So Jesus counsels them. 
to buy a few things, to anoint their eyes. They had become more religious than relational. But he says this to them in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door. And let's just stop right there. Behold, I stand at the door. Behold is Jesus' way of getting their attention and saying, take notice. I want you to behold something. I want you to notice something. Take note of the posture I have towards you. I'm standing at your door. I'm not standing at the door of religion. I'm not standing at the door of the church. I'm not standing at the door of Christian TV, radio. No, I'm standing at your door. Woo! And he says, behold, I want you to notice where I'm standing. I want you to notice what my posture is. I'm standing at your door. How incredible to think that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of everything seen and unseen, would take the time to seek us as individuals in the hope of having a relationship with us. He's standing at your door. He's standing at your door. He's standing at your door. And he's presented himself, behold, and he says, behold, it's me. It's almost like what he said to Thomas. Check me out, Thomas. Want to see the scars on my hand? Want to put your hand in my side? It's me. And I'm standing at your door. Jesus depicts himself standing outside the place where we live, seeking us. You know, if you've had somebody standing at your door, standing on your lawn, you know, out there looking for you, you know, uh, you know that'll get your attention. Hopefully, they're not there to serve you papers. Or, <laughs> well, hopefully, it's not the state troopers and they want to have a conversation with you. But when someone's at your door and they're standing there, they've come to see you. And Jesus wants us to know that he has come to seek us in the place where we live in the hopes that he would have a personal connection with us. Let's not kid ourselves. Jesus didn't show up at our door to have an intimate connection with us because we were sinless, because we were special, because we were more spiritual than everybody else, or that because we loved him so much. Oh, Jesus is at my house. Look at that. I must be one of the special ones, one of his favorites. You know, Jesus has a busy schedule. He's got a lot of things to do, Lou, but he stopped by my place. Glory to me. No, let's not kid ourselves. That's not why Jesus is standing at our door. In fact, 1 John 4, 19 tells us he's there because he loved us first. It's not because we loved him. It's not because we desired a relationship with him. In our flesh dwells no good thing. Our flesh doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, with God, with holiness. Our flesh just wants to party and sin and invent new ways to sin and indulge itself with more and more and more. Come on, what's the cry of this world? Indulge yourself. Do what makes you feel good. More and more. Accumulate more. Get more. Acquire more. And Jesus is not there because we had this great love for him. 1 John 4 tells us he, we loved him. Why? Because he first loved us. Amen. And that's incredible enough, but Paul continues to add to this chain of thoughts here that not only did he love us before we loved him and he first loved us, but he loved us when we were at our most unlovable moments. Paul said in Romans 5 that 
God demonstrated his own love towards us. Listen, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it wasn't like, Rick, I like what you've done. I like what you've done with the place. You've cleaned yourself up. You know, you're, you go to church. You're spiritual now. You carry a Bible. It's a big, heavy one. I'm real impressed with that. No, it's not because we loved him. It's not because we cleaned ourselves up. It's not because we, we dealt with our own sin. No, while we were in the depths and the darkness of our deepest sin on our worst day, that's when he loved us. That's when he died for us. That's when he sought after us. That's when he came to the door of our life looking for us. Now, none of us would like to be caught in our worst moment. On your, on your social media profile pages, do you put your worst picture? You know, the one with your hair standing straight up and one eye's closed. My wife has to take like 10 pictures of me before she finally sighs and accepts one of them. She's like, ah, I have nothing to work with here. No, we put our best foot forward. We put our best picture out. We, and, and God is like, no, while you were yet in sin, while you were in your worst sin, while you wanted nothing to do with me, I sent my son to die for you because he first loved you. Revelation 1.5 gives us a beautiful picture of what Jesus actually did for us. Listen to Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. There it is. He loved us first. He washed us, what? In, our, in his blood from our sin so that we could be clean in the sight of God. It's not because we loved him. It's not because we got our act together. It's not because we were his favorite. No, he loved us while we were unlovable. He cleaned us and washed us with his own blood. He sent the Holy Spirit to seek after us and to redeem us and to pull us into relationship. It's all him. It's all him. Least we think for a second, it's us. The Laodiceans were deceived. They thought it was them. They thought they had it going on spiritually, but they were in trouble. They'd become more religious than relational. So behold, Jesus is standing at your door. And I want you to realize that today, that no matter where you are in your relationship with him, maybe you're not born again, but by the end of service today, you're going to meet Jesus and surrender your life to him. Maybe you've been born again and following the Lord for 50 years, but wherever you are today, he's still seeking you. He's still at your door. So he's at our door. You know, great. He's out there. What's he doing? Well, the Bible says he's knocking. It's one person, if someone's loitering on your lawn or standing in front of your door, that's a little bit creepy, isn't it? But when they come to your door and they start to knock, that means they're looking for you. They want to gain audience with you. They're coming to connect with the inhabitants of this address. So Jesus is at our door. He's standing there. He's postured himself to connect with us, and he begins to knock. Now, all throughout our lives, God has been there. I want to say this again, and everybody needs to hear it. All throughout your life, God has been there. You might not have felt him. You might not have been able to perceive him. It might have seemed like he was everywhere else but there for everyone else but you. But the truth is, God has always been there every moment of your life. 
in your best moments, in your toughest moments, in your moments of joy and victory, in the moments of sin, in the moments when others hurt you, God was there. The Father has been there seeking after us. He, what You say, well, what was the Father doing? Pursuing me. He was looking for an opportunity to extend you grace. See, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. So he pursues us. Why? To judge us, to, to convict us, to make us feel terrible about ourselves, to convince us we're unworthy. No, he pursues us, and he has all the days of our life for an opportunity to extend us grace. The Holy Spirit seeks after us. He wants to draw us into a relationship with the Son so we can be connected to the Father. The Son, you know, we got the Holy Spirit coming after us. We got the Father reaching out his hands like the prodigal. His, his arms are wide open. He's looking for us. And then the Lord is at the door knocking, extending the grace of God to us. What a beautiful picture of the Godhead today fully engaged in redeeming mankind. How precious a soul must be that both heaven and hell desire to possess it. Wow. God's not aloof. God's not disconnected. God's not disinterested. Many times, our hearts are broken. Don't, don't, shh, quiet. Our hearts are broken for the lost. That don't know the grace we know. God is seeking to save that which is lost. It was the point of Jesus' mission. He's not aloof to what you're going through. He cares. He's knocking. He's at the door. He's desired connection with you. What should our response be to his knocking? First, we need to acknowledge he's out there. You know, when someone's in your yard, they're knocking at the door. Maybe it's the Jehovah's Witnesses. What do you do? You hide. You don't make any noise. You pretend you're not home. And you yell at the kids, shh. And they're out there. And you see them, and you look at them, and you're like, I know who they are. You know, I live on a road that's a dirt road. I live, my driveway's dirt all the way a 1,000 feet uphill. The Jehovah's Witnesses had to send a special team to get up my driveway, Donna. They sent the elite SUV team. Then they got up there, and they knocked, and they met Pastor Rick, and they've never been back. But when someone's knocking, you got to make a decision to acknowledge them or not. And that's the first thing we need to do. We need to acknowledge. He says, what, if anyone hears my voice? So we've got to acknowledge that he's out there, that his posture is towards us, that he's 
on our property in front of our house, seeking us, knocking on the door of our heart. You see, the world, the flesh, and the devil try to drown out the voice of Jesus. Try to drown out the knocking of Jesus. If anyone hears my voice, if all we have to do is hear his voice and respond, then the enemy is going to do everything he possibly can to drown out the voice of Jesus. How many know the world makes a lot of noise? You know, and sometimes it knows just how to appeal to us. You know, we, we, we're, we're, we're spirits and we have the ability to commune and connect with God, but we're wrapped in flesh. And sometimes almost anything can just set our flesh off. It could be someone in traffic. It could be, you know, that person in front of us that decides to go 30 in a 50, which everybody knows you're supposed to go 70 in a 50, and you're going 30. And help me, Jesus. A song could come on the radio, you know, as we're flipping through that just unleashes a whole bunch of memories. You know, maybe some song that just triggers something in you. Keep going, keep going. Get to the Christian station. You know, almost anything can serve to just distract us and drown out the voice of heaven, drown out the, the knocking of Jesus. And he's still there. He's still knocking. He's persistent. If anyone hears my voice, we've got to open up to him. We've got to acknowledge that he's there. A transformed life and a secure eternity begin with hearing the voice of Jesus. My life needs to change, Pastor. Hear what Jesus is saying to you. Just like for Laodicea, he's got counsel for you. He's got some steps, do this, do that, you know, and, and us just being obedient and humble and, and, and doing the few things he requires of us allows him to open the windows of heaven and dump a blessing out on us, amen? Come on, your resistance to the things of God puts a lid on your life. Remove the lid, amen? Come on, get under the spout where the glory's pouring out, Amen? hear his voice if anyone hears my voice a transformed life a secure eternity not having to wonder am i lost am i saved am i going to heaven am i going to hell how am i today am i good today i was bad yesterday Uh, you know this up and down roller coaster no god wants to settle your eternity Salvation is a free gift that we receive by faith, amen. It's not based on our works or our performance. It's not one minute you're saved and next, next minute you're lost. And if, you know, you do the right thing, you're good. But now you blew it and so you're going to hell. How many have grown up in religion where the, you just never knew where you stood with God? A transformed life, a secure eternity, it begins with hearing Jesus. The the prophet Jeremiah described God's people Israel when they were in a condition where they categorically refused to hear the voice of God. God was speaking, God sent prophets, God was talking to them, calling them to repentance, calling them to relationship, and they categorically chose not to hear the voice of God. Just like Noah's generation. Noah's generation was, you know, busy marrying and giving in marriage and partying and drinking and building, you know, wealth for themselves, and they were ignoring God. God sends Noah out there. He's building an ark. He's sawing. He's nailing. He's collecting animals, and they're like, ah, that guy's crazy. And they mocked him, Dan, and they ignored him. But then the rain started, and the water rose. 
and they clawed at that ark that they mocked because God's grace had run out on them and his judgment was inescapable. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jeremiah said, this people, they have ignored the voice of God. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 25, 3 through 5. He says, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, 23 years, uh, the world, uh, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again. Feel the frustration in the prophet. But you have not listened, and the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again. But you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear. Hear that? You didn't listen, and you're not even trying to listen. Saying, turn now, everyone, from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds, and live on the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. A call for them to come out of the world and be separate, to be in relationship with God, to hear God, and to enjoy the blessing of God. That scripture, in a nutshell, is God's heart towards us. Well, you just want to control me. You just want to make sure I don't have any fun. No, he wants to save us from ourselves so we can enjoy his presence and enjoy his best in this life and in the next to come. Come on, that's the heart of God. So we've got to acknowledge that he's here. We've got to acknowledge he's knocking. And secondly, we should open up to him. Look what it says, uh, that he opens up the door. So there's a part of our will that needs to be surrendered here. Behold, I stand at the door. Knock. Okay, we see you out there. If anyone hears my voice, all right, we hear you, Lord, and opens up the door, th there has to be a decision of our will. How many know there are many people who see Jesus and hear about Jesus and even know Jesus wants to have a relationship with them, but they never open up to him? In fact, many of us ran for years. We knew about Jesus. We could feel the tug of the Holy Spirit. How many, maybe just you went to a church one time and the Holy Spirit was tugging you and you think, not now. These people are crazy. I'm not becoming one of them. And you come into church and you feel that tug and you're like, nah, not yet. So it's possible to know he's out there and see him and hear his knocking, but it's also possible to keep our hearts close to him, which means we have got to make the personal decision to open up the door. I want to say something. We've all heard this before. How many agree with this statement? God doesn't force himself on anybody. You can't be like, you know what, I'm here today because, you know, God grabbed a hold of me and put me in a Holy Ghost headlock and he forced me to confess my sins and be born again. And then he forced me to receive the Holy Spirit. And that's why I'm at church today. You know, maybe your mother tried to do that, but that wasn't God. Like parents, we, we're, we get desperate sometimes, right? You're going to serve God whether it kills the both of us. And, but God doesn't do that. He doesn't force himself on anyone. He doesn't override our choices or bypass our free will. We're made in his image. That means we have a free will, that we're, we're free moral agents. We can choose to serve God. Or we can choose to serve the flesh. Or we choose to serve the world and the devil, but we get a choice. And none of us that chose God did it out of our own strength, our own volition, but he put himself out to us and we surrendered our will to him. 
and the rest has been life-changing. So we've got to open ourselves up to him. There's a portion of this equation that is on us. And if the ball's in your court, if Jesus is at the door, if Jesus is knocking and you hear him, then you've got to make the choice to open up to him or to stay closed. Now, the methodology of how we open ourselves up to him is both simplistic and beautiful, and the Apostle Paul describes it perfectly in Romans 10, 9, and 10. Listen to this. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. God made it so simple. Confess and believe with our mouth and our heart. We open ourselves up to him, and with the words we confess that he is Lord, and it becomes righteousness for us. Come on. It's a free gift received by faith. Ah, it seems too easy. Yeah, he made it easy. Do you know why? Because all the other covenants were hard and mankind messed them up. But he made the grace covenant, the covenant of his blood, so easy that not even we can mess it up. <laughs> Jesus is like, I did everything for you. Just come to me and surrender. I surrender. I got you. And he takes you in. He cleans you off. He dusts you off. He covers you with the blood. He puts the seed of God in you, the Holy Spirit in you. He writes your name down in the Lamb's book of life. He saves you and settles your eternity. Come on. That's what our God does for us. So we got to make a choice to open up to him. It's your choice. I can't make it for you. Full Gospel Center can't make it for you. Your mama can't make it for you. You've got to choose him yourself. Do you hear him? Is he knocking? Is he at your door? Is he seeking relationship with you? I adjure you by the grace of God to open yourself up to him. So if we'll hear him and open ourselves up to him, he promises to do something incredible for us. He says, I will come into him. Not that, you know, well, I'll leave a note on the door, or I'll give you a pamphlet, or I'll, I'll sprinkle some water, or give you a blessing. He says, I'll come in to you, to your house, to your abode. Now, the implications of this are far beyond Jesus visiting our homes. He, he wants to dwell in us. One of the most profound mysteries of the Christian faith is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within every believer. You and I enjoy this mystery in that when we open ourselves up to Jesus, he actually comes and takes residence in our hearts. Now, I want you to know something. No one in the Old Testament, none of the patriarchs, none of the prophets, none of the pillars of the faith experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would just come and reside or settle upon the Old Testament saints and prophets. They would do a specific function, and then God would withdraw his spirit. You say, why? Because the Spirit of God couldn't indwell man because man was stuck in his sin, and the cross hadn't happened yet, so the remedy for sin had not broken the power or the dominion of it over all of mankind. So Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, David, all of them experienced the, the Holy Spirit, you know, influencing them or coming upon them, but not indwelling them. 
Because we are New Testament Christians on the other side of the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, the veil on the Holy of Holies was torn from the top to the bottom that now we could have access to the presence of God and he have access to us. Amen. What an amazing thing. What a glorious mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we have this treasure in earthen vessels, the spirit of God. Jesus says, I'm knocking, open up the door. If you open up, I'll come into you. I'll indwell you. Jesus told his disciples that he would reside in them. They were all anxious and nervous. Jesus is going to die. Jesus is going to leave us. We don't like what he's saying. He says this in John 14, 16 through 17. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the Holy Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Wow. They had no idea. They couldn't conceptualize. They couldn't wrap their minds around what Jesus was talking about. But sometime later in the upper room, when the Holy Spirit fell and like tongues of fire sat upon individuals and the Spirit of God indwelled them and filled them and they began to just operate in the supernatural. Come on, that's for us today. That's for the church today. We are those who are filled with the presence of God because the Spirit of God resides in us. Wow, what a privilege. What an honor. What an asset. Thank you, Jesus. On the other side of the cross... Jesus' words came to pass, and the apostle Paul confirmed what Jesus promised in John 14 when he said to the believers, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Saying, you need to know, you are the temple of God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you. He's the umpire and the referee of your soul. Don't think for a minute that when you can sense something wrong, you can sense something spiritually off, when you, you, know, you know not to be involved with this or get away from that person, that's not your spiritual street smarts. That's the Holy Spirit inside of you directing your steps, protecting you, and keeping you. Learn to hear that still, small voice. Uh, why did it have to be still and small? Couldn't it be really loud and impossible to ignore? Like the world is? The world is blaring, blah, 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 and we're trying to hear the still, small voice. Mm. So if we open up, he'll come in. Jesus is calling all those who religious and lukewarm in Laodicea to secure their salvation by being filled with him. And you know what? He's calling us to do the same thing today. Open up to him. Be filled with him. Amen. Be filled in the, with the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Don't settle for a life in the flesh when you and I can be kingdom people filled with the spirit of God, walking in the purposes of God. Verse 20 continues here, and he says what? I will come into him, and listen, and dine with him. Food. Eating. Fellowship. Come on, don't pretend like you don't like it. If there's one thing Christians can do, it's eat. 
You know, we may not know how to party, but we know how to eat. And Jesus says, what? Open yourself up to me. I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. Look at that, a mutual exchange. And this is what Jesus is promising to do for us, that if we open up, he'll come into us. If we open up, he'll dine with us and, and we'll have a mutual exchange with him. This is a picture of connection, of intimacy, of communion, amen? That's what this is about. Jesus promises to all those who open up to him that I'll connect with you. I'll commune with you. I'll build intimacy with you. Eating together was a big deal in the Jewish culture. In fact, there were certain people that Jews would not eat with. They wouldn't eat with sinners, with Gentiles, or with even people from their own culture that were sinful. You know, what was the Pharisees and the Sadducees always had a beef with Jesus because they said, he eats with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors. And they had a problem with that. Why? Because when you ate with someone in the Jewish culture, that was an affirmation that you wanted to have intimacy with them, that you were on the same page as them, that you were in agreement with them. You see the implications here? Jesus is saying, I want to be one with you. I want to be connected with you. I want to affirm you. I want to have intimacy with you. And they're like, you eat with sinners and tax collectors and prosecutors and, and, you know, and they were always bent out of shape and they thought that Jesus should eat with them. But he didn't come for the well, but the sick. And it's a picture of the gospel, amen? Are you messed up? Are you broken? Are you hurting? Are you in sin? Are you addicted? Are you uh, at your wit's end? Is your life chaos? Jesus wants to come in. He wants to dine with you. He wants to commune with you. All he's waiting for is us to open up to him. Open up to him where you're broken. Up, open up to him where you're stuck, where you're in sin, where you're in addiction. Open up to him. He has nothing but love, not judgment. He wants to come in. He wants to connect. He wants to give you counsel so like the Laodiceans, you could repent and be free. Eating together was a big deal. Jesus wants to eat with us. He wants to affirm us. And I want to say one last thing about this point. Jesus didn't call us to the boardroom or the workplace or the battlefield. He's called us to the table. He's called us to the table. Oh, I'm just a worker. I'm a worker for Jesus. I do work. I'm a busy bee. But do you commune with him? Do you eat with him? Do you connect with him? Oh, you know, I, I, I'm part of God's army. I got battles to fight. The devil's busy, you know. I'm a soldier in the army of God, and I got things to do. But he called you to the table. Without the table, there's no connection. There's no communion. There's no mutual exchange. I'll dine with you. You dine with me. We'll become on the same page. I can't fight battles until I'm filled with the Spirit of God. I can't reach the lost for Christ with the gospel until I'm filled with the Spirit of God. I can't overcome and be an overcomer and, and see sin driven out of my life until I commune and dine and fellowship at the feet of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Help us to get this, Lord. Verse 21 is a reminder that there's a reward for the overcomer. Listen to this. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne 
as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Let's just stop there. Verse 21 should excite us. If it doesn't, we, we haven't gotten it. Jesus is saying there's a reward for every act of obedience you do. When you hear me knocking and you open up, when you feel me tugging and you respond, when you hear me call to repentance and you bow the knee and you, you allow your heart to be broken in my presence, there's a reward for every act of obedience that we do. Amen. You know, the enemy wants us to forget this, to think, oh, God asked me to do this and do that and feed the hungry and clothe the naked and, you know, preach the gospel. And, man, I'm busy. But really, there's a reward connected to everything we do for the kingdom of God. God is just, and God sees our obedience. And every time we're obedient, he releases a blessing from heaven. I don't know about you, but I need the blessing of God in my life. I don't need people to think well of me. I don't need money. I don't need to hit the lotto. I need the blessing of God in my life. Amen. If I have the blessing of God and the favor of God, that's all I need. And that's all you need. Oh, I need a degree. I need this. I need a good job. It, listen, if you have the blessing of God on your life and the lid is taken off your life because you're walking in obedience to him, if you're walking out the call of God, you're going to have everything you need and everyone you need and every dollar you need to get the job done because God finances the obedience. I hear people begging on the radio, oh, send, if you don't send money, we're going to have to go off the air. Good, go off the air. <laughs> You're only up there for your ego anyway. <sighs> Pastor Rick saved, but he's still Sicilian. <laughs> we don't have to beg. We don't have to throw a tantrum. We don't have to, you know, grovel. No, God provides. God gives us everything we need if we just walk in obedience. And if we walk in obedience, we'll be overcomers. I think sometimes we forget that we're supposed to be overcomers. You and I shouldn't be struggling with the same sin that, we, you know, we struggle with in our youth. You and I shouldn't be dealing with the same addictions. No, God wants to bring us from faith to faith that we would be overcomers. Amen. And with the Spirit of God in us and us hearing Jesus is knocking and opening ourselves up to him, we will overcome flesh. We will overcome sin. It's just who we are. How many would say today after walking with the Lord for a period of time, you are not who you used to be? Lift up your hand. Amen. Some of you didn't raise your hand. I'm praying for you. Unless you were really good to start off with. I don't know. But... There's a reward for the overcomer. And when I looked at this, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. That's powerful. Jesus, Jesus went off the cross into the grave but didn't stay there. He rose again on the third day. He, he descended into uh, Sheol and he liberated the righteous dead who had died in faith looking forward to the cross. He got the Old Testament saints and the patriarchs and those who believed and looked ahead. And he took them as a first fruits offering and he went right into the presence of his father with the first fruits offering of all the souls and then he sat down at the father's right hand and the father gave him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess and then Jesus sat down you see when he said it is finished he wasn't kidding he wasn't being melodramatic it was finished 
the dominion of sin was broken. The power of sin was broken. He liberated those who had died in faith. And then he offers eternal life to whosoever will call on his name. Such a powerful moment there. And he says, you know, just like I sat down at my father's right hand, you're going to sit down with me. You know, in heaven, I want access to Jesus. I want access to the presence of God. I realize that living a carnal life to living a selfish life to living a sinful life may not cost me my salvation, but it just may cost me access. I don't want to be shut out in heaven. I want to be right in his presence. I want to be right at the throne. And I know you do too. So allow the Lord to make you an overcomer because there is a reward connected to every act of obedience. The Holy Spirit said something to me as I was putting this together and uh, crafting this point. He said, if we won't sit with him now, what makes us think we'll sit with him then? The busyness of this world can rob our time to the point where we, our consecration to him is insufficient. We need to learn to sit with him now. And if we learn to get comfortable with his presence now, heaven's just going to be an easy transition. But if we won't sit with him now, what makes us think we'll be worthy to sit with him then? So it's time to turn off the TV and turn off the phone and shut down the social media and get away from everybody. And this is what I said to first service. We need to get alone with God and find a secret place. And here's what I want to tell you. We need to sit down, shut up, and listen. Welcome to Full Gospel Center this morning. Too many people find God's presence and all they can do is, I need this and I need that and you need this and you know it this and my boss, and I'm done. Have a good day, Lord. Sit down. Be quiet. Why? Because he's knocking. He's speaking. We should be listening. If we're not sitting with him now, how can we expect to sit with him then? Verse 22 is the close here. And it should be the close of our series on repentance. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Takes us a level of spiritual perception to hear the message that we're getting today. And when it, that word hear implies that we discern, we understand, and we apply the Word of God. That's what it means to hear. Not just that we you know, make a mental note of it or that it fills our ears and we comprehend it, that we discern and we understand and then we apply spiritual truth. How many understand we can't hear without the Holy Spirit? How many before you were saved, you'd read the Bible and you'd be like, what? You're reading it and there's smoke coming out of your ears. You're falling asleep. You're not getting it. But the minute you invited Jesus in and you got the Holy Spirit in you, the words of this text begin to leap off the pages and make sense and find application in your life. Come on. Come on. Amen. That's having your ears on spiritually. To him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. There's only one way to have spiritual ears, and that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Matthew 13, 15 through 16, again, describes it when God's people don't have the ear to hear him. They're not listening, and they've not inclined their ear to hear. And it says this, For the hearts of this people have become dull, with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. 
that they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart and return and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Hearts that are dull, ears that are deaf, eyes that are closed, that described the condition of Laodicea. Jesus had a remedy for their spiritual plight, and it was repentance that initiated the healing. God is calling each of us today to hear Jesus knocking on the door of a heart, to open up to him, and to allow him to fill us with the Spirit of God so that we can be victorious overcomers who enjoy all the benefits of the cross. Let's bow our heads today. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I... I didn't notice Jesus out there. I didn't hear him knocking. I didn't know he wanted to have a relationship with me. But this morning, you've noticed him, and you've heard him, and you know he's always been there. He's been tugging. He's been knocking. And you say, you know what? I want to, by a decision of my will, open up to him. Today, that scripture I read in Romans 10 if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God rose Jesus from the dead, we'd be saved. That is the simplicity of the gospel. When we acknowledge Jesus is the Savior, we're sinners in need of a Savior, and we invite him to be the Lord of our lives, everything changes from that moment forward. He does come into us, forgive us of our sins, fill us with the Holy Spirit, give us the power to live a different life. Maybe you've tried everything. You've tried to be good, you tried to be moral, you tried new friends, you tried new habits, but nothing has changed you. Listen, you and I can't change ourselves, but God can change us, and it starts with us simply humbling ourselves and submitting to him. Come on, the reign of heaven. If you're here today and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I simply want you to slip up your hand and say, I want to let Jesus in today. How many people want to let Jesus in today? Just raise your hand. Amen. God bless you. Keep your hand up for just a second. God bless you. Keep your hand up. The ushers are going to put a packet in your hand. Come on. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Amen. God bless you, young lady. Any more hands? Amen. Oh, maybe your life's been dry, but the rain of heaven's opening up to let life spring forth. Amen. Even when the desert gets hit with the rain, life springs up. So, Father, we thank you today. And just repeat a prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize you're the Savior. I confess I'm a sinner. And I receive you as my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And give me the power to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give him a hand clap of praise. Amen.